Hello and welcome to the Kambala Voice, the first in an ongoing series of discussions and reflections about our students and the world that they will lead when their school days are done. I'm Jane Danvers. Thank you for your company and for joining our community of thinkers. In part two of our program, our speakers, CEO and media professional, Sunita Gloucester, Head of English, Lauren Walsh, Head of Religious and Philosophy Studies, Fiona Isaacs, and alumna Anjali Desai will offer us their views on the beauty of multiple perspectives and intersectional feminism, the personal and the political, the power of disagreement, and the stories we need to tell to make a difference. The roles that we play as educators, nurturers and lifelong learners is to convey the message that imbalances of opportunity need to be called out. It's our shared duty to demand more equal forms of representation and to work collectively towards a fairer society. In many ways, it appears that the way forward is to genuinely embrace the power of disagreement and to engage with multiple perspectives. Some of us might call this intersectional feminism. It's no longer possible for any of us to be complacent or to turn a blind eye to fundamental injustices. So our problem to solve is the challenge of how we might address the tensions of our world through the way that we navigate the stories we tell in order to make a difference in the future. Our investigation is now going to push into other facets of our lives as members of our community speak about what's important to them now and in the future. As educators of the young women who will one day leave Kambala to become leaders in their chosen fields, we strive to provide a platform for the kind of dialogue that confronts oppression. At school, we speak a great deal about feminism and in doing so try to ensure that our discourse also confronts racism and classism along with sexism. And I believe that for us to have a meaningful discussion, we must engage with these challenges on both a personal and a theoretical level. In her article, Racism and Feminism, A Schism in the Sisterhood, intersectional feminist Margaret A. Simons argues that we will only combat oppression successfully when we can genuinely achieve the coalitions that enable feminism to become a truly international and intercultural movement. Kambala recent graduate Anjali Desai tells us that for her, consciousness of oppression began in the modern history classroom. In modern history, we had the opportunity to study the end of apartheid, which was another great learning opportunity for me in really understanding how the struggle against racial oppression has been something that is transhistorical, firstly, and also secondly, something that has been continually and persistently fought against. Within my study of apartheid within South Africa, I had the opportunity to understand and learn about the power of the collective voice and the effect that it can have on an entire population. As a result, I've been inspired by that learning to embrace a process of advocacy that has historical roots but is also ongoing. I wonder whether it's possible to fully appreciate the challenges and injustices that other people might experience in their lives if we've never experienced them ourselves. I'm a woman and a person of colour, and therefore I identify strongly with the values of intersectional feminism. Despite the fact that I think I've been fortunate to have quite a privileged upbringing, there is one particular occasion when I first personally experienced an act of discrimination targeted specifically towards people of colour. Me and my dad 
had gone to the airport to travel back to the UK. I remember being only 10 or 11 at the time and my dad and I were taken aside and I was put into this machine and I was tested for different explosive devices and so was my dad. We were taken to a separate room to be questioned about why we were going to the UK. And I think for my dad, it was quite frustrating for him. And I didn't realize till several years later why that was, but we were the only people out of 250 people in that queue who were taken aside and who had that happen to them. So does personal experience of an injustice open our eyes and our minds to allow us to become conscious of oppression in all of its forms? I think I'm quite fortunate in the lens that I have because it's quite unique in that I'm a person of colour, but I've grown up in a primarily Western country. So I have this dual perspective on the way I see a lot of different issues in relation to race. I can see the way that they manifest. I've had the benefit of experiencing two different cultures and I can see that whilst there's been so much progress in multiculturalism and the way we embrace differences and diversity, there are still shortcomings in the stereotypes, internalised discrimination or archetypes that we've embedded within our own consciousness towards people of colour that can still be addressed. When we have enjoyed the benefit of education and a privileged education, it's very easy to think of ourselves as being aware, conscious and progressive. However, when we venture out into the world and take stock of the data and statistics around diversity, equity and inclusion, it's easy to see that if we want to bring about just and meaningful social change, we must be eternally vigilant, especially in media representation. Sunita Gloucester. Are there enough people inputting into the creativity to make sure that we are writing not only with representation but with understanding? Have we got enough diversity behind the camera? I'd like to think that at Kambala we're equipping our students to feel comfortable about asking those important questions in all of the worlds that they do and will inhabit. Here at school, in their tertiary education, within their future workplaces and in the media and culture that they create and consume. You're listening to Your Voice Has Power, the inaugural Kambala Voice in which we examine the burning issues within our community and of our time. I'm Jane Danvers, Principal, and I'm your moderator today. Scientists often look at the same data and disagree. Sometimes their interpretation of exactly the same data can be profoundly different. And yet those differences might prompt a closer look at the data and even promote unexpected and extraordinary insights. Fiona Isaacs, whose academic achievements straddle science, philosophy and religion, tells me that in days gone by she believed that powerful engagement and interaction in the education space was all about finding the common ground, but she no longer feels the same way. I believed a myth that what creates respect of difference is to start with our commonalities. But I actually think understanding our differences is so much more interesting. And Head of English, Lauren Walsh, tells us that through the close study of literary texts, we are able to embrace the power of disagreement and that our differences in perspective can become exciting springboards for developing a richer understanding of ideas. I think the most powerful thing that we have is the capacity to disagree with one another respectfully and empathetically, to listen to different positions and find comfort in each other's differences. And for me, that is what intersectional feminism has and continues to teach us. 
Writing in the 1980s, Audre Lorde, someone that I know Angela is very inspired by, she spoke of the extent that as women we have been taught either to ignore our differences or to view them as causes for separation and suspicion rather than as forces for change. What she's speaking to there is that we are positioned or have been historically positioned to view that women are naturally opposed to each other, natural enemies, and that unless we are all safely conforming to one idea or image of femininity, then we create conflict. I think it's important to add that English certainly is a subject that is quite unique in that we expose students to literature and to text and at the same time accompanying our study with theories or what is happening potentially contextually. So I think back to Audre Lorde and her relationship with fellow poet and peer Adrian Rich. Their relationship was one that was based as much on disagreement as agreement, including differences in race, demographic, education. And they modelled through interviews, through broadcasting conversations, published letters, even through their own poetry, a remarkable example of a sisterhood where difference is at its core. A woman speaks. Moon-marked and touched by sun, my magic is unwritten. But when the sea turns back, it will leave my shape behind. I seek no favour, untouched by blood, unrelenting as the curse of love, permanent as my errors or my pride. I do not mix love with pity, nor hate with scorn. And if you would know me, look into the entrails of Uranus, where the restless oceans pound. I do not dwell within my birth nor my divinities, who am ageless and half-grown and still seeking my sisters, Witches in Dahomey wear me inside their coiled cloths, as our mother did mourning. I have been woman for a long time. Beware my smile. I am treacherous with old magic, and the noon's new fury with all your wide futures promised. I am woman, and not white. In 2021, Anjali Desai closely read the works of two American feminist writers, Audre Lorde and Adrienne Rich, to compose a critical essay within the framework of English Extension 2. A rich myth or a new lord, the dialectical possibilities of a feminist poetic. Forward. Tracing the movements of feminism, from women's suffrage, second wave feminism, intersectionality, Hashtag Me Too, and more recently, Hashtag Teachers Consent, we may locate numerous instances wherein the complex layers of multiplicitous experiences have been reduced into a monolithic cry. In turn, my critical response acts as a poignant reminder to observe that which lies beneath the compartmentalization such cachets impose upon feminist thought. Here, we may discover a plurality of perspectives, both conflicting and overlapping, that are enriched through an embrace of the dialectic. By interweaving the poetry, theories and interviews of Adrian Rich and Audre Lorde, whose friendship appears to be founded as much on their opposing views as their shared, I traverse the composer's alternate approaches to mythology. And so, as I grapple with the polyphonic discourse, 
wholly resistant to containment. I find myself enticed by the resounding echoes of these diverse feminist voices. Through her engagement with their distinct voices, in conversation with one another, she discovered how to use her own powerful voice. What stood out to me the most was both women had very different conceptions of feminism, yet equally viable ideas about the treatment of women. And something that showed me is that it doesn't matter if your voice is not the same as another person who is advocating for the same thing that you are, it matters that you're using your voice to instill some change and to articulate your perspective. I think in English there was a variety of texts that we studied that really inspired me to recognise and also use the power of my own voice. And all those women, for me, looking at their works and their literary compositions really demonstrated to me the power of cultivating a strong voice that celebrates autonomy and also individuality. For example, where Adrian Rich advocates for addressing oppression through engaging with the institutions that perpetuate it, Audrey Lord contends that we need to move entirely away from those institutions which are rooted in oppression and instead create works that channel diversity and difference and that embrace those ideas. And at this same time, two local feminist scholars and peers, Fiona Isaacs and Lauren Walsh, have been grappling with divergent views in response to ideas and texts by engaging in lively arguments and conversations about their different perspectives and approaches. And so I think Lauren and I have really interesting conversations because we're both feminists, but when we talk about that stuff, the conversation isn't as interesting as the things that we disagree about because that's where I really get to respect Lauren as a different person to who I am because I see her point of view and I don't always agree with it, but I can understand and respect that. Whereas when you stay in the bounds of commonality, you're furthering the difference and saying, oh, that's not relevant or that's not part of who we are or that's not even a conversation we want to have. But it's the conversation about difference that's interesting and rich and powerful. As an educator and leader who has more recently joined the Kambala community, I want to know more about how different perspectives between educators might manifest in the classroom. The idea that women have to conform to a single narrative, to a single identity, or to a single trajectory has historically been a way of disempowering women, reducing their agency, denying them the capacity to be subjective, to exist outside of the status quo. Sister Outsider. We were born in a poor time, never touching each other's hunger, never sharing our crusts in fear the bread became enemy. Now we raise our children to respect themselves as well as each other. Now you have made loneliness holy and useful and no longer needed. Now your light shines very brightly. But I want you to know your darkness also rich and beyond fear. So introducing and offering students the opportunity to see that modelled through writers such as Lord and Rich is one way that we may tackle that. But we can also model it ourselves. We can model it as practitioners. We can support each other in sharing our different perspectives in front of students and model the many benefits of disagreeing with one another and embracing that in an empathetic and respectful way. So you can see that at Kambala, we're seeking to create an environment that is built on trust and respect. One that allows people to air many unique perspectives, 
And to achieve this, everyone in our community needs to feel confident enough to accept challenges to their ideas and value systems and must learn to be bold enough to challenge the views of others. I'm Jane Danvers, and you're listening to the Kambala Voice. Your voice has power. I want to ask Lauren Walsh and Fiona Isaacs two important questions. What are the stories that we need to tell in the classroom to make a difference? How do we navigate the challenge of empowering the voices of young women amidst the confines of syllabi and prescriptions? I view language itself as a malleable construct. It is a product, I suppose, of a socio-cultural process and language is thus wonderfully complex and dynamic. Also, language itself can be used to suggest that there is something inherently natural about how we view or how we understand ourselves and the words that we use. I learn that Lauren Walsh links the power of the voice to developing a sophisticated understanding of the power of language. And what are Fiona Isaacs within the religious education sphere? With the girls, we read really ancient stories of women using their power. So there's a story in the Judeo-Christian tradition from judges about a woman called Deborah, who was a political leader. She was a military leader. She was a spiritual leader. This man called Barak comes to her and she says, I've got a message from God, you need to go out to war. And he says, I'm too scared. And she's like, all right, I'll go with you. And they go and they fight the war. But you very much see that Deborah is the figure who is powerful. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. The story of Deborah in the Old Testament is indeed a fascinating tale about an extraordinary woman who was a charismatic military leader all those years ago and in the Middle East too, definitely a challenge to our stereotypes. So should there be opportunities in the English classroom to teach Shakespeare and the classics of the Western canon? Do we need to read and think about those stories in a new way to find empowerment of the female voice within them? We invite students to look at Beatrice from Much Ado, they study this in year eight, who uses wit and an intellect to deliver an uncensored disregard for conventions. Just if he send me no husband, for the which blessing I am at him upon my knees every morning and evening. Lord, I could not endure a husband with a beard on his face. I had rather lie in the woolen. What should I do with him? Dress him in my apparel and make him my waiting gentlewoman? 
He that hath a beard is more than a youth, and he that hath no beard is less than a man, and he that is more than a youth is not for me, and he that is less than a man I am not for him. Therefore I will even take sixpence in earnest of the bear ward, and lead his apes into hell, and there will the devil meet me like an old cuckold with horns on his head, and say, Get you to heaven, Beatrice, get you to heaven. Here's no place for you, maids. So deliver I up my apes, and away to St. Peter, for the heavens. He shows me where the bachelors sit, and there live we, as merry as the day is long. <laughs> or Isabella in Measure for Measure, who the IB students study, whose subjectivity stands in stark contrast to the robotic misogyny of her male peers. To whom should I complain? Did I tell this? Who would believe me? Oh, perilous mouths that bear in them one and the self-same tongue, either of condemnation or a proof, bidding the law make curtsy to their will, hooking both right and wrong to the appetite to follow as it draws. I'll to my brother. Though he hath fallen by prompture of the blood, yet hath he in him such a mind of honour that had he twenty heads to tender down on twenty bloody blocks, he'd yield them up before his sister should her body stoop to such a bored pollution. Then Isabel lived chaste and brother die. More than our brother is our chastity. I'll tell him yet of Angelo's request, and fit his mind to death, for his soul's rest. So our students absorb through innovative and visionary teaching that it is always possible to find something new in an old text, and that this can empower the contemporary female voice. Who would have thought that we could discover feminism in the story of two third-century martyrs, Perpetua and Felicity? While, says she, we were still with the persecutors, and my father, for the sake of his affection for me, was persisting in seeking to turn me away and to cast me down from the faith. Father, said I, do you see, let us say, this vessel lying here to be a little pitcher, or something else? And he said... I see it to be so, and I replied to him, Can it be called by any other name than what it is? And he said, No. Neither can I call myself anything else than what I am, a Christian. There are so many stories of powerful women, not only in the Old and New Testaments, but in church history as well. Saints like Perpetua and Felicity in the third century, who are these um, incredible women who went to the gladiatorial arena because they refused to deny their faith, which was completely radical in Roman society because they were a slave girl and a free woman. The day before that on which we were to fight... I saw in a vision that Pomponius, the deacon, came hither to the gate of the prison and knocked vehemently. I went out to him and opened the gate for him, and he was clothed in a richly ornamented white robe, and he had on manifold colliculi, and he said to me, Perpetua, we are waiting for you. Come. 
and he held his hand to me, and we began to go through rough and winding places. Scarcely at length had we arrived breathless at the amphitheatre, where he led me into the middle of the arena and said to me, Do not fear, I am here with you, and I am laboring with you. And he departed. And I gazed upon an immense assembly in astonishment. And because I knew that I was given to the wild beasts, I marveled that the wild beasts were not let loose upon me. They are just incredible heroes of the faith. And rather than say, this is a new thing, it's actually saying, no, this is a historical truth of our faith that women have incredible capacity and gifts to give the church. And the church is richer and stronger when men and women work together, affirming each other and affirming each other's voices. And that concludes part two of our program. Thank you for joining us for Your Voice Has Power. I'm Jane Danvers, Principal of Kambala, and I'm looking forward to your company for our next Kambala Voice.